Hi, this is Heather Langenkamp from A Nightmare on Elm Street, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil i'm joined by ken sagos of dream warriors and he's here to talk about a personal project and it's very cool to have you here you want to let everyone know what uh the mchenry trial is yes the um mchenry trial it's 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 about a young man something that's very new he's a he was a, a very brilliant young kid who graduated from high school when he was eight years old, graduated from college when he was 12, and went to law school and became an attorney at age 14. And so he comes from the inner city, and he's a young man that defended his first case, happens to be his father, who had been accused of murder, that was homeless. So it's a very exciting story. It tackles a lot of things. It tackles homelessness. It tackles the inner city. It tackles the drugs. And most importantly, you know, it's called the McHenry trial. Don't judge a kid by their hoodie because he wears a hoodie. And you never know what's under that hoodie. And that's another thing that's so great about this case. This young kid that you see in there, inner city wearing a hoodie is also a brilliant young attorney. Yeah, I you know even here at my local mall, they have signs now, uh, you're not allowed to wear a hoodie inside the mall. Correct. Correct. And that's why, um, you know, because the hoodies has become such a bad thing, and I understand it, but at the same time, you know, Everyone wears a hoodie. Either everyone wears a hoodie or they know someone that wears a hoodie. But even without the hoodie, I would like to focus on this young man mm-hmm. who at 14, um, who comes out of an inner city where all odds are against him and he defeats, he defeats all those odds and become an, an attorney. And, you know, for those who say that doesn't make sense, think about Dookie Hauser in the, I think it was the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most popular series that lasted eight seasons, and that was a neurosurgeon at 14 that was the head of a whole department in a major hospital. Mm-hmm. So I so- wrote a book at first, and mm-hmm. the book has been getting rave reviews, and and there's talk that it should be in every middle school across the country. 
So what was uh, what was like the impetus to write this? Because you said it, you know, deals with a lot of things: uh, racism, homelessness, uh, the inner city. Like, uh, were all those topics personal to you? Yes, uh, it, it actually I centered this story around an area in Atlanta called the Bluff, which is where I grew up at. And at one point, the Bluff in Atlanta was the most notorious drug-infective community across the country, or at least one of the top three. And, you know, I came out of there, and I was one of those young people that, you know, saw a dream and was not looked over. And so there are a lot of stories, but this is not just a story in the inner city. It's a story for everybody. It's a story about family. It's a story about families sticking together. It's a story about the homeless of people, too. And one of the um, things that is said in the play is when in, in, in the feature film is that, um, you know, the first thing we got to do is prove that just because you're homeless, you are a person. And um, and that's what this goes about. And, you know, and this young kid, this young African-American kid at 14 goes up against a very powerful judge who some would say is the last of the old Southern segregationists. And he goes up against a very arrogant prosecuting attorney who has won 41 cases in a row. And this is to be his 50th case. So he thinks this is going to be a piece of cake, an easy trial. But the knowledge of this young man proves him wrong. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it proves him wrong. And you're, it got laughter. It got joy. It, got, it has everything in there. So you have the Indiegogo campaign to uh, help uh, you know raise money so you can make, make the short. Yes, and, that's um, one of one of the things on, that I did. I I went to a um, I, I want to direct, and so one of the recent ways that I can direct is to I have to show that I can direct a short film. So to do this film right, I'm trying to raise twelve thousand dollars. Now people might say that why so much money? And that's because I want to get top-notch actors. I want to make this a SAG film, a Screen Actors Guild film. And because the young man is 14, you have to pay a lot of children fees, meaning that he can only be on the set for 12 hours a day, and then you have to pay for a teacher. So um, really, the 12000 is... It's just a drop. It's the bare minimum what I need. But I've gotten um, a lot of actors have agreed, top-notch actors, that have agreed to come on for a small, low-budget salary because they believe in this project. I'm pretty much at halfway now, but I really and truly am reaching out to my horror fans and everyone. And if you know me and look up my history... I have given back. I started an organization called the Giving Back Cooperation in 97. 
and because I want to pay for kids' books when they go to college. So I have given nearly 500 kids a scholarships to go off to college across the United States. I've put nearly five or more than 5,000 supplies in the classrooms to help young people. So that's what this is about. So I've always given back. And so now I just want to do something to go on to the next level of my life. And I want to write a great story. I'm not just an actor. I'm an award-winning writer. So, um, but I just need to raise the funds to make this happen. And there's wonderful perks, by the way. Um, you can get hoodies that says, don't judge a kid by their hoodie. T-shirts that says the same thing, wristbands, uh, there's the, the book. And by the way, I did trademark Don't Judge a Kid by, the, by Their Hoodie, and that became official last week. Oh, very cool. So, uh, so the plan eventually is to do the feature, which I assume would be the whole book. So when you're uh, planning to do the short, like, is it just um, like a certain uh, part of the book? Yes, it's a part of the book, um, and um, it gives you a teaser about the screenplay that you're going to want to see more. You see this young man go before this hard-nosed judge. You see this young man go before a hard-nosed attorney and a prosecute, prosecuting attorney. So you see how he works. But at the same time, even though he's 14 and and is an attorney, he's also a kid mm-hmm. that needs his father, that needs his family, that needs love. And so you got all these variables there that makes this such a wonderful film. And this is not just a film for African-American this is a film that everybody could play this role. Every kid can play this role. It's just a wonderful story to watch. And I can I'll guarantee you that you're going to be very intrigued to watch this young kid go up against what is normally only the, the adults go up against, to go up against a prosecutor, prosecutor uh, and defend his father. And... And everything, and also being a kid. And, uh, have you ever uh, done directing before? I've directed uh, a, a short before, yes, but this would be, but nothing like this. Um, but this would be the first time that I've directed where I wanted to direct an entire feature film. Um, quite frankly, I don't think that. Um, no one can do it as much justice as I can because it comes from my heart and it comes from my perspective in growing up in a, a community like that. Now, uh, you yourself being an actor, um, do you think, you know, being on sets of movies with, with uh, directors, like, is that something you would watch or pay attention to and, like, you know, pick up, like, you know, uh, some some ways you think you could uh you know become a director yourself? Well, I don't 
think I can become a director, I know there's a director in me. That's yeah. the first thing. And I, and you see, I've gotten older now, and I want to give back in another way. I want to show that other side. And I've worked with some of the uh, wonderful directors. I met directors as a very young man. I had the honor of meeting Mr. Alfred Hitchcock and talking oh, wow. with him. I met with some of the greats, you know, John Singleton, you know, and, um, you know, of course, you know, with Chuck Russell and, and the Nightmare crew. So I've met a lot of great directors. I've talked with Clint Eastwood when I was a security guard at Universal, uh, Taylor Savalas. So I've talked with some great directors and I just remember they all did one thing is they pat me on the shoulder and said, go at it when it's time. And so I think it's time now. Mm -hmm. So uh, you talked about like your own dreams and cut, you know, um, overcoming and, and uh, following your dreams. So I assume your dream was to become an actor. And uh, what were some of like the, the things you would watch as a kid that inspired you to become an actor? One of my, my dreams was to become a doctor, actually. Oh, really? Okay. I, yeah. But then, but I feel that being an actor and, especially being a comedian, it is some form of being a doctor because of, but I've always, since I can remember, enjoyed being in front of the uh, camera. And um, so, and I've always enjoyed acting and, and I keep it moving forward. And then I started writing. And how I got into writing is, actually, I was a writer before I was an actor. And uh, I was a staff writer for Paramount. I wrote on the Laverne and Shirley show, and I was on Joe Chachi. Yeah, I'm telling my age now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just want everyone to know that, you know, I've been around and Every time I've been blessed to get a job, even of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I've always put somebody's kids, not kids, but kids, help them in their education because I know how hard it was for me when I wanted an education and couldn't afford it. And let me tell you this brief story because... It probably would make everyone understand why I'm so passionate about giving back and so passionate about helping the inner city youth. It's because in the streets of Atlanta, when I was in high school or senior, uh, there used to be this elderly lady that walked around from house to house begging for money with a fruit jar. She would just collect money. And being one of the kids, disrespectful young kids on the street. I used to joke with her. I used to pick at her, say, why you begging? Don't be coming to my house begging, you know. And sometimes this lady who walked with a cane in her late 80s, early 90s, she would be begging when we went off to school. And when we came back, she was still begging. One time we saw her about three or about six blocks away, still begging. But now the joke was on me, uh, on me and my other friends, because when we graduated and went off to college, 
the day before I was to go, she knocked on the door and she gave me an envelope and said, this is to pay for your books. So she wasn't walking around begging for money for her. She was begging for money so I could fulfill my dream. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I worked very hard. I wanted to come back that Christmas and say thank you, but she passed before I got back. So because of that, that's why I started giving back. That's why I have always given back. And that's why I want to tell stories that have the passion of giving back. I don't want to say when I make it or be this big, I want to do this. Because I don't know in the morning if I'm going to be here, God may say it's time to come home. I want to be able to say that in my journey, I never stopped giving. And so this is one story that is very passionate to me. And I ask for any of the fans out there, yes, Kincaid is begging, please help me support this project. I only have four more days to go. I think this crowdfunding ends on Saturday. And I'm halfway. And whatever you can give, whatever you can go, just go to indigo.com, type in my name on the McHenry trial, and when it comes up, you'll see it. There's a wonderful perk. Everything in there, you get a perk. If you just give me $5, you get a perk. I will personally send you a postcard, you know, and I've been calling people. Whenever someone gave me something, I call them up personally and say thank you mm-hmm. because this really means a great deal to me. And yeah. if you... Some by chance you can't find it, you can find me on Facebook and <laughs> send me a message. I make sure yeah. you get the information. All right. And I'll put the link right on the website so people can you know, click on it. Yes. Yeah. So I, I and I really appreciate you for letting me have this opportunity and to raise it. And I can still do it. I know that uh I remember a someone who made all their money, which was $8,000 in three days. So, but now, and I know some of these big stars uh, with bigger names, you know, they have um, made their movie and made $4.8 million on Indigo. There are some that have made over 200000 Some that have made a million dollars. All I'm asking is to help me make 12000 and you will not be disappointed. I hope to use the money to go to film festivals and everything. And also, and if there's any left, it won't go to me. It'll go to somebody's kid to get an education. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll just ask real quick, too, when um, when you were pursuing you know, writing and, and acting and storytelling, um, when you're in there in the inner city and stuff, were uh, were people supportive of you uh, following the arts? Because sometimes you know other kids uh, can um, can kind of not necessarily like be supportive of their friends who are doing arts. They want them to you know do sports or or, or something different. Well, I play sports actually, and actually, I was from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I was a track star, <laughs> so okay. Uh, well, I know it don't look like it now, but I was a track star. 
But I, you know, I, I've always had people saying, you can do it, Sagos. That was my name. You could do it, Sagos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but, you know, when I got to California, uh, I had some very trying times. You know, I think I mentioned I worked at Universal Studios. And I mm -hmm. think that was God sent because in working at Universal Studios as a security guard, that meant that I had to walk on around and and hit keys. And that enabled me to meet some of the legends of yesterday and who have passed on, like, like I said, Alfred Hitchcock, Taylor Savagas, Lucille Ball. Um, I got a chance to meet some of the old legends who passed some of that old knowledge over to me. George Byrne, when I was doing stand-up, you know, he took time to talk to me. And, you know, and and I still remember that. So I, I carry a a different type of legacy with me. And so, and I remember when I was a writer on Laverne and Shirley, Phil Foster, who played Laverne and Shirley's, Laverne's father, because I couldn't get it right. And he took me to the side and said, quit trying to write what you think we want to hear and write what you know. It's my right, it's my job as an actor to get into it. So this story that I'm writing is what I know. And, you know, and I can say that two years before that, I was at home in Atlanta in college watching the Laverne and Shirley show, watching Happy Days, and I never thought that I would be writing for them. Yeah. And um, speaking of Gary Marshall, when he called about me having a job, I hung up on him because I thought it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, I did have people to push me on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to do it now. Yeah. I hope that answers that's, your question. Yeah, definitely. And you know, something someone asked, too, is... Um, because Dream Warriors is considered uh, by a lot of people the best uh, sequel. Some of them think the best of the whole franchise, and yeah. it, you know it deals with a, with a group of, of kids. So after you made that movie, and uh, and it continues to find a new audience, do a lot of people contact you either at conventions or emails or Facebook, whatever, and say like that you know Kincaid like uh, you know like they had a connection to him and they had a connection to the other I, kids. I, I, yes, because you know when I first got offered the role of Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know if you know heard the story. I, I had never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street. And because I came from a very religious family, I was advised not to take it. And um, so what they was looking for, I didn't fit. So when I went in for the audition, to make a long story short, I had an attitude. And it turned out that's what they was looking for, <laughs> an attitude. They actually thought I was acting. I just didn't want to be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as far as Kincaid and Nightmare on Elm Street, part three and four made the most money of all the series, you know. Um, and those happened to be the two that I was in. But I'm not bragging about that. <laughs> <laughs> But 
Ken K, you know, in Thailand, in Taiwan, they had a Ken K fan club. And wow. that's what I, I, I like. And I, I get messages today, letters from all across the country about Ken K. And a lot of people to this day tell me that Ken K helped them in the world. It helped them to challenge bullies that they felt that when he had a bully, they would say the things that Kincaid said. I said, well, how old were you then? One guy said, I was 12. And I said, the thing that Kincaid said, and I said, which one of that? He said, I would kick your ass all the dreamland. I said, oh, oh okay. <laughs> 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 but um, to this day, yes. And I think Nightmare 3 was such a great film because it embodied everything. It embodied the classic of the old school, and it embodied what was going on now, and technically it embodied what was going to be going on in the future. So that was a very classic movie. I don't believe when they was writing it, they expected it to be like that. But also, um, it made history for me because I became the first African-American to survive a major horror film and return to a sequel. And yeah. so because of that, I'm known all over the world. And whenever I go to the conventions, I, everybody come up and they have one of their favorite sayings. So I made up about 15 of them. I didn't know that I had so many. <laughs> and I thought I had all of them from FNA to I'm going to kick your butt all over dreamland to Freddy's back. Uh, you messing with my sweet time now, Christian. I thought I had them all, but at every convention, someone would come up and say something that I forgot to put on that paper. Yeah. So I think Ken Cage represented something. He was the only dream warrior, by the way, that had his powers was natural. It was a natural power that everybody could have. And that was strength. And he could talk trash just like to Freddy Krueger. But he, it was something that they could go have. And that's what the young people and elderly people, everybody tell me. Ken Cade had something that they could go and work out and have at the time. They couldn't have the magic. They didn't deal with drugs. They didn't, could not do the Somerset, but they could be strong. And they, and it is not just the strength that I had. It was the strength that Kincaid had in his words. That mm -hmm. he was afraid, but he would stand up against you. He was not afraid to stand up for himself. And that's what they saw in that character. And to this day, I, everywhere, everywhere I go, I get people to say that's what Kincaid represented from them. All over the world, by the way, in every language, by yeah. the way. Yeah, which shows that, you know, like you're talking about uh, your story, uh, the McHenry trial is even if you're not necessarily from the inner city or something, there's a, in good storytelling, there's always something that people can relate to. Everyone has to go up against the odds. And that's what this young man goes up against. 
he goes up against the odds. He went out there and he became something that people say he could not become. He passed the ball, you know, and if you check the news and read the news without all this negative going around, there are young people every week that they're talking about that's going to college at 10 years old, going to college at 12, uh, graduating from college at 14. At, at, at every day, every day, there was a young man, I believe now, that graduated from one of the top colleges. He was not the valedictorian, but the salutatorian, that's it. And he was only 15. So every day, every day is out there. So this is not a story. Please understand that this is a story with a black actor in it. This is not a black story. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so wonderful. Ken Cade was an African-American man that played it. But it could have been anybody. It could have been anybody. Mm -hmm. I just had to take it in and make it so rich that everybody could understand it. And that's what I'm doing in that, my writing, and that's why I'm asking for your help to go on and just help me out with this. I got three more days to go, May I think four, and I need help to reach that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I hope you get there, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing it. I'm also looking forward to reading it because I haven't read it before, and uh, it's, I appreciate you coming on and talking about it. I thank you so much. And like I said, is go to indigo.com. I think you're going to post it, but mm -hmm. and the link, and it doesn't matter. And this is what people, do, uh, a lot of people do before I go. They'll say, "Well, I don't have much, so I can't." I don't care if you have one dollar. That's more than I had. Mm -hmm. And if 12,000 people sent me one dollar, I could reach it. So, yeah. please. And I promise you, I will send you a thank you note. I don't care who you are. And it will come from me. And I mean it. I appreciate it and much love. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good day, Ken. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Now this town is over They're in the streets, they're all around, they want this town 